Hey church family, I'm here letting you know about, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to meet face to face. And as we're um, doing our virtual meetings, it's just really, oh, hang on. There's a policeman behind me. I better pull over. I wonder who he's after. I'll let him go on by. Oh, he's not going on by. Well, that's weird. I wonder why he's stopping me. I hope he doesn't ask for my license and registration. I don't know where it's at. I need your license and registration, please. <sighs> Chris, is that you? It is, actually. What are you doing out tonight? Oh, you know, stopping people with uh, on their phones and no headlights. Oh, is that wrong? Yeah, well, you're not supposed to be on your phone, Randy. Since when? Since July. <laughs> I did not know. Must be because of COVID stuff. Well, more so, importantly, you don't have your headlights on, too. So that's that's really the reason for the stop. Oh, uh, well, I'm so sorry. So, well, thanks for letting me know that. Are you recording me? Y yes. Okay. I was sending a message to the church about um, us having to meet or not meet face-to-face. -face. Gotcha. So, well, so do you have your license and registration? Uh... I've got my license, but anyway, this is a good time to talk about something that's so really important. So you still don't have registration on this, I assume. Yeah, yeah, I do, um, somewhere. But this is a good opportunity for, for me to explain three things to you, Chris. Oh, okay. Okay, so there's a difference between mercy and justice and grace. And let's talk about that just a second. One, mercy is when you pull me over for something and even though I did something that's wrong, you just let me go scot-free. And mercy is a very important concept in Christianity and faith. And then there's justice. Justice would be, I did something wrong, and I need to pay the consequences for that because that's what's just. And then there's grace, and grace is my favorite. Grace is a combination of mercy and justice, and it is such that I did something wrong, and I need to pay a penalty for that, but then that penalty is paid. And I, I'm just hoping that you're feeling really graceful right now, because actually, in our instance, if you're showing mercy, you'd just let me go. If you're being just, you would write me a ticket. But if you showed me grace, you would do both, which means you would write me a ticket, and then you'd write me a check to pay for the fine. Well, that ain't gonna happen. Oh, well, what do we do then? I tell you what, since I don't do traffic anymore, I'll let you go scot-free because I know you don't have registration. Well, that is so generous of you. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Take care. You have a good evening. You too. <laughs> Bye. Whew, that was a close one. Good thing I knew him. If you couldn't tell, that was staged. Um, I couldn't keep from grinning a little bit the whole time and, and Chris as well. It was very difficult for him to not laugh. But I wanted to do an illustration to point out incredible biblical principles of mercy and justice and grace, and especially grace. You see, grace is an incredible gift that God has available to us. But to truly appreciate the wonderful gift that grace is, we first need to really understand sin, to understand the own, our own blackness, 
of the depth inside of where we're selfish and rebelling against God and putting ourselves in first place in our lives. And when we truly understand that, then only can we really appreciate the grace that God is giving us. I want to um, look deeply into a story in Jeremiah chapter 36. In setting the stage here, the people have continued generation after generation to rebel against the covenant that God had laid out for them. The people have continually, slowly and sometimes quickly, just rebelled against God in very powerful ways. And here the people have actually begun worshiping other gods, pagan gods who exist around them, and then also they have worshiped at temples that actually the kings have created to the other gods. And part of the worship isn't just that they're doing other religions. These other pagan religions have involved sometimes human sacrifices and other really horrible things. And so this is so making God sad, angry, frustrated, and he wants the people to come back to the covenant that he provided for them and that he was holding up his end of the deal, but the people were rejecting him. And so God is giving them once again another chance through the words of Jeremiah. So Jeremiah here is listening to the words of God and he's dictating them to a scribe and then the scribe are taking that to the people. So let's peek in here and I'm in Jeremiah chapter 36 and I want to start with verse number 2. Get a scroll and write down all my messages against Israel, Judah, and the other nations. Begin with the first message back in the days of Josiah and write down every message right up to the present time. You see, this isn't the beginning that God has continually through many prophets been encouraging the people, telling the people, please repent. I love you. Come back to me. Don't be doing what you're doing. So perhaps the people of Judah will repent when they hear all the terrible things that I have planned for them and then I'll be able to forgive their sins and wrongdoings. And it's important that we know what the word repent is. Very often, I think we think repent is a feeling, maybe a feeling of remorse or sadness or regret over something that we've done. And actually, repenting isn't that. The Hebrew word for repent is shuv, and it's simply the word to turn, to change direction or course. So when we repent, we're actually changing the course of our lives from being focused on us and putting us at the very center of all that we do and changing that direction to put God first and to put God and his loving principles first in our lives and then follow that direction. That's what true repentance is. So Jeremiah, here in 4, sent for Baruch, son of Neriah, and as Jeremiah dictated all the prophecies that the Lord had given him, Baruch wrote them on a scroll. And then Jeremiah said to Barak, I am a prisoner here and I am unable to go to the temple. So you go to the temple on the next day of fasting and read the messages from the Lord I have given you for this scroll. Read them so the people who are there from all over Judah will hear them. Perhaps even yet they will turn from their evil ways and ask the Lord's forgiveness before it is too late. For the Lord has threatened them with his terrible anger. So here's the hope that they will understand what they've done wrong and turn back to God. Now at this time period and pretty much on, the way that God allows people to suffer God's wrath is at the hands of someone else. 
to actually suffer the consequences of their wrong on wrongdoing by allowing things to just pan out so they pay their own consequences for their mistakes. And in this case, it's the, the Babylonians or the empire that's ready and waiting to come and just completely wipe them out. And so as the people are told to recognize this, that please turn back to God, let's see how they responded. What eventually happened is the people were read the scroll and then some of the people were very um, encouraged that it wasn't too late. And so they wanted the king to hear this. So they took the scroll to the king and had it read to him, hoping the king would repent and lead the entire nation back to God. But that's not quite exactly what happened. Skipping down to verse 21. So the king sent Jeduhi to get the scroll, and Jehudi brought it from Elishama's room and read it to the king as all his officials stood by. It was in late autumn and the king was in a winterized part of the palace sitting in front of a fire to keep warm. So each time Jehudi finished reading three or four columns, the king took a knife and cut off that section of the scroll. And then he threw it into the fire, section by section, until the whole scroll was burned up. Neither the king nor his attendants showed any signs of fear or repentance at what they heard. Wow! When I hear this brazen attitude that as the words of God are read to them and the king section by section takes those words from God and just throws them into his fire that he's warming his toes by. I can't imagine the brazenness of him and the rejection of who God is. I mean, the stories were still in his, his ears about all that God had done, leading them from slavery and bondage out of Egypt and leading them to the promised land. But somehow the, the power of being king, the, the things from the other countries around um, led his desires astray from focusing on God and he didn't care. And I just, I can't imagine that. I can't imagine how brazen he was. But then when I take a moment and I recognize my own life and I recognize my own selfishness and the many times where I recognize I don't put God first, to be honest, if I'm not doing what God is wanting me to do, the last thing I want is someone coming to me and telling that I'm messing up. I don't want to hear those words. I want to just keep doing what I'm doing, keep on trucking with whatever I'm doing in my life, and I don't want to hear that if I'm messing up, I don't want someone telling me that. But then as I continue to reflect and think that that's not the kind of heart that God wants. God wants a humble heart who recognizes sin for sin, who recognizes that when we do mess up, God is always there with open arms, ready for us to repent and turn back to Him. And that's what God is asking of us now, is to take a moment and pause and not be like this king, but to be a person of a humble spirit. If we take a moment and just reflect on our lives of the things that we block out sometimes of where we're incredibly wrong in what we do, if we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us about where we're really messing up, I think we might be surprised that in all of us we can find black areas of our heart 
that we need to repent of and turn back to God is my own self as I look at what do I do for entertainment? What do I watch on television? Television and movies have gotten a lot worse since I was a kid. Have I allowed myself to just slowly let sin creep into my life as what I watch on television? It's a good question. Is that true for you as well? You see, Jesus taught us that sin isn't simply something that we go out and do. Sin starts in our hearts. Jesus points out that yes, it's wrong to commit adultery, but even lusting after someone else is the same as committing adultery. You see, and when we think about coveting other things, we don't have to do an action, that's in the heart. So many times the things that we do, it begins right here in our mind and in our heart where we're rebelling against God. So what I want to encourage us to do is just take inventory of our own lives and think about a couple questions. I want to encourage you to think about two questions as we prepare our hearts for what God has. One is, how in my life have I been selfish? What have I been doing that puts me first and God second? A second question is, what is at risk if I do not repent, if I do not turn from the direction I'm going, what's the risk? What's at stake? Take a few minutes and discuss with the people that you're around, your family or your friends, or if you're by yourself, just think on these things for the next few moments and allow yourself to listen to the Holy Spirit talking to you about where you're at and changes that need to be made in your life. Let's pray. God, as we recognize your majesty and your power and your holiness, we thank you that despite our sin, your love is more powerful than anything. And we recognize that your love has so much more capacity. Your grace has so much more capacity than any sin that we have ever committed. That God, as we turn to you, as we repent, that you welcome us with open arms and bring that rich gift of grace to us. God, we thank you for the new covenant that you have given us, that you have given us a covenant that can be written on our hearts. Thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.